0: Accessing Agent Files Brian Sovereign Early 21st Century Anarchist Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government Helping usher in an incredible time
1: Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side? and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this, you're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian.
2: Oh, yes, the man of tomorrow, the master of the triple black arts, the Golden Stallion, ready for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. And holy hell, do we have a lot to go over. And I want to make sure you get through this whole episode. So much to talk about. But let's start it off with talking about something near and dear to my heart. And that would be my penis. No. Uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm very concerned. I read a study this week. We're getting right into our random access here, folks. Um, I read a study this week that, uh, made the claim that, you know, the radiation as it were coming from your phone, you know, or receiving back and forth and whatever. And a lot of people have talked about the sort of thing, the effects that that has on the brain. Uh, not that I think that should be a major concern because who the hell talks, On their smartphone anymore, even if those uh, studies were somehow accurate or if they had an actual point, which, again, I'm not saying that they're true, but apparently constantly having your smartphone in your pocket can not only cause now this this one isn't new. The idea that it would, uh, you know, lower your fertility, uh, you know, affect your sperm count. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily new or perhaps even shocking, but the fact that it may cause erectile dysfunction. Now, uh, myself, (laughs) admittedly, even when there's often scant evidence that something can cause ED, uh, I generally take it pretty seriously. I must admit so, but the study was showing it with the phone being in the front pocket and not in the back pocket. I, God, I I don't, I don't know. Uh, But either way, I'm putting it out there. It's a PSA that, you know, this is something you you might want to consider. I mean, these are very similar reasons to uh, among many other very good reasons. But, you know, for starters, why, you know, I'm pretty much a teetotaler. (laughs) is because, you know, even marijuana can cause stoner boner, uh, you know, the the smoking uh, and, you know, just cigarettes can cause all kind of blood vessel damage. And, of course, drinking, you know, the good old fashioned whiskey dick uh, that is, you know, all very concerning to me. So just putting it out there that there are studies that are claiming that, you know, cell phones sitting in your pocket, uh, you know, for men can cause E.D., Just keep it in mind. Uh, Moving on. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, something I want you to check out. Speaking of fitness, please, and don't just listen to it for the fitness. There's a lot of great information uh, to glean from this. I want you to check out just had an awesome special come out this week. In fact, I, I said it on social media. I said it in the episode, and I mean it. This is probably my favorite special to date, and I've done some great specials. I had Rich Dane on a few times. Uh, I had a whole slew of guests in the past. I love it. But this one was really, you know, I thought it had a lot to say. And it was and I had I had uh, Rafi on and Rafi is, you know, this guy's, sh- you know, straight on volunteerist I mean, he's the real deal. And he has an awesome app out there. Battlesuit Runner Fitness. I love it. I've used it. Uh, and I recommend anybody else, you know, if you want to, even in the middle of winter, I talked about, it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to use this in the middle of winter. It doesn't matter. Get out there, get some running in. And, and, and they call it like a story runner app where you have a story going on, you know, uh, audio story. And then you can choose your music and, and, you know, works with the music and everything. And you, but you're acting out to, uh, you know, a degree of, a, of an adventure story, a sci-fi adventure story. And it's so cool. But we didn't just talk about that. We talked about Paleo. We talked about uh, he's working with Better Place International about how they're building these incredible uh, hospitals, you know, self-sufficient hospitals all over the world. There's so much to glean. And especially if you want to be an app developer, uh, you really need to hear this episode. I mean, because, you know, he, he laid out, I asked the questions and he laid out very well exactly the process he went through. Uh, and how he did it, you know, in a in, compared to, you know, to other app development, he did it in a very inexpensive way. This is a golden episode. And so please do check it out. Give it a listen. This isn't necessarily just about fitness, but obviously we know how important that is, you know, to, to me and how important it is to Sovereign Tech's message. In that one of the things, one of the easiest forms of activism, albeit it's hard work, but one of the easiest forms, easiest to implement forms of activism you can do is to just be insanely healthy. You know, so many people are worried about, oh, Obamacare is going to kill health care in the United States. All the doctors are going to start sucking. Well, then guess what? You better start being proactive about your fucking health. Okay. So do do give this episode a listen. I really enjoyed it. Uh, And also, if you would share that episode around. okay? because I think this is really important to get this message out there. Share that episode around on Twitter, on Google Plus, on Facebook. If you use Facebook, we're going to talk about Facebook in a minute. Okay, you take your pick of how you want to share this. Get it shared. It was a great episode, uh, highlighted a lot of the problems in the medical industry, but also it showed, you know, uh, some talked about a great app that I personally love, but then also, you know, app development, what that looks like, all these things. It's it's really that it's a rock solid episode to check out. So please do share that one. Around, um, but uh, but let, let's get into some other random access here. Uh, boy, the I was half tempted, but there's no information really to share. I was half tempted to do this for HackSec, but I'm just going to put it out there. But the Regin malware, that's R E G I N. Uh, this was announced a few days ago by Symantec. Of course, those are the guys that uh, you know of Norton fame, Norton Antivirus. And this this malware is. Uh, crazy. And it seemingly there's nothing it can't do right now. As we understand it, it is only you know, it only affects Windows machines. But then uh, as I understood what I read, there's no reason to think that it hasn't been improved because this is an old malware. It's been around since at least 2008. And the guess is, is that Regin is actually in version two of whatever, it whatever, it, you know, whoever developed it and however long has been developed and for what reasons. Uh, and so a lot of people speculate that version three or just a better version two is out there, and that is infecting Linux and OS X already. OK, or it may even be developed for Android already, which would really be the key market to hit. Uh, so in this this Regin malware, I mean, it is, you know, every even Steve Gibson, uh, who I, I have tremendous respect for and a lot of others are just looking at it and going, holy shit, nice work. And it's such nice work. It's so it's so well done. This is like an OS running within an OS uh, because there's not much it can't do. It'll turn on your camera. It'll key log. It'll do all this stuff. It even has its own file system. I mean, a completely encrypted file system. It's insane. So, you know, when you say it's an OS, it's a spying, you know, a spyware, A, sp- uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, a spying OS. Within your OS, that's really what it is. And the countries that it's been found in throughout the Middle East, uh, is, as well as some other countries, pretty much this is the irony, is that it's in all the countries that most people consider, uh, you know, a, in, in the Western world uh, to be a threat. So uh, but it's so sophisticated and it's been around for so long, really, even Symantec had to say, had to say that, yeah, we, we think a nation state of some kind built this, you know, they didn't say who, and no one really knows, uh, but that some, you know, the NSA type organization devised this and is using it. And, uh, you know, now, I mean, and, Kaspersky came out and said that, yeah, we've been tracking it for a couple of years. Why nobody bothered to talk about this before? I have no idea. And it makes you wonder just how many other, uh, types of malware, that are really, really vicious and really out of this world that these antivirus companies have never told anybody about. You know, I mean, there is no reason to keep this quiet. If you suddenly saw a piece of malware that's doing all this wild stuff, why did you keep your mouth shut? Is that because now they just suddenly were able to talk about it via the NSA? I wonder how what the relationship is with groups like the NSA, where the NSA says, "Okay, yeah, you found us. Don't say anything yet or don't make a fix yet or whatever. Uh you know, I'm not saying now if you have a Windows machine, it's a no-brainer. You got to run an antivirus. Okay. Well, you don't have to. But by, <laughs> I recommend running an antivirus. Okay, but let's just keep in mind that probably most of these antivirus companies are very much in bed uh with you know, even the good ones like Eset. Eset is my personal favorite. Uh they're probably very much in bed with, you know, governments and alphabet soup agencies. Uh, I would imagine it to be, you know, nearly unavoidable. So anyway, Regen's out there, nothing you can really do about it. It can't necessarily be stopped. And even if it was able to be stopped, it's a pretty good bet that again, version three of it is already out in the wild. Uh, and we could talk about, you know, what does all that mean? You know, do, does, does that mean that, that the, the jig is up? No, it's still important to make all this stuff very expensive for these organizations. Uh, I mean, yeah, you you know, I agree. In fact, this is something we talked about quite a few episodes ago. uh, And Steve Gibson did a great monologue, speaking of Steve Gibson again, where he's, you know, he said, he's like, if we think that somehow we can like out encrypt, uh, you, you know, the NSA and whatever, you know, we might, we're probably kidding ourselves because just the amount of money that they can throw at a problem, the amount of time that they've been working on all of this stuff, uh you know it, it would be very difficult to get past that now during hacksec this week we'll maybe we'll talk about something that that would you know a, a, more of a hardware solution that might actually solve this issue uh but regardless you know but we still you know the, my point with sovereign tech has been and i mentioned it last week too in episode 100 is that just yeah we we just don't make it easy for them even if they can crack it all Okay, you make it expensive. You make it you give them a hard time, you know, and that's that's the bulk of almost any activism that people do is generally about educating and just making, you know, making it uh, difficult, you know, being a thorn in the side, more or less. And using these encryption technologies, whatever they may be, telegram, take your pick of the encryption technology. And I think it really is a, a bit of a thorn in the side. you know, and, and it's worth our while because now the implementations are getting, uh, so easy to do. So anyway, uh, that's Regin. You can look more into it again, R E G I N, uh, you know, and speaking of Steve Gibson, I really consider that I consider this show in many ways, I shouldn't say that security now, which is the podcast that he and Leah Laporte does, uh, You know, I I wouldn't say that it's a companion piece to this show. (laughs) I should more accurately say I'm a companion piece to their show. But I consider that to be like near required listening uh, every week, you know, and sometimes they get into very deep issues and and really complex and like very hard to uh, you you know, it's it's they get very technical. So, you know, I understand where one might be kind of turned off by it, but uh, they they really talk about some of the most uh, important issues in the tech world on that show. And, uh, you know, he does, Steve Gibson does a great job of explaining everything. Sometimes, you know, again, sometimes he can't really dumb things down, but by and large, he does a great job of explaining it. So, you know, do check that show out uh, every week in, you know, just a recommendation on my part. Uh, But moving on, let's talk about some some decently good news. Uh, Blu-rays. This is interesting because I think a lot of people feel that, boy, these, you know, these disc technologies now with Netflix and and Amazon Prime and all of that, this stuff's just a waste. And we're going to have to, you know, dump all these discs. They're useless. Well, come to find out now, of course, we talked about M-Disc last week, which uh, uses DVD and Blu-ray technology to create, you know, uh, recorded discs that can last for a thousand years plus. So that's useful, but for all those Blu-rays that you know, say we wanted to like, look, the market's dead. Let's get rid of all these Blu-rays. To come to find out, is that Blu-rays can actually be used really well uh, for solar panels to actually enhance solar panels. Just the way the you know the the, the grooves uh, that are burned into the dye on you know the the organic dye on these discs uh, actually make for for a great. Uh, you know, great enhancement to to the collection of solar energy, and so yeah, more or less you could kind of line solar panels more or less, you know, with with all these uh, you know, Blu-rays that are are considered useless by so many people. So what a what a really great, you know, way to kind of recycle. <laughs> you know, this is this is really useful recycling. Is you know you could just. Use those Blu-rays uh, to, to help out with solar collection. And speaking of solar, uh, boy, you know, last week we talked about the first hydrogen or not the first, but the first mass produced hydrog- hydrogen fuel cell car. Uh, we talked about the Mirai from Toyota. Well, th- this is a uh, news that I was kind of holding on to. But there is actually a a team out of the Netherlands, a company out of the Netherlands, made the first real like family, you know, a family you know, sedan style solar powered car, and it's called the Stella. And this thing definitely looks like no other car out there. Okay. It does not look like a Camry, you know, as to where the Mirai looks very sporty. Uh This one is, <laughs> does not look anything of the sort. Uh You know, it is definitely a unique looking car, but it can go 500 miles, uh you know, on a charge, on a full charge, which is pretty good uh compared to, you know, your average all electric does about, you know, 250 to 300 miles. Uh, on a charge and so it does, it can do 500 miles on a charge and uh it's driven up high you know uh what, what is it, highway one there between san francisco and la uh so this is the real deal it's it's a you know proof of concept of the fact that you can have a you know a, a real solar car designed for a family and, and it can do the business and it can keep up on you know Even on the most treacherous of freeways. Uh, So that's exciting. And also, there was, (laughs) I just found out about this this week. There is a bus called the number two. And this is real. There's a bus called the number two that literally runs off of shit, it runs off of human waste. Uh, amazing. And, and I, boy, I thought that was cool. You can look it up on Google uh, or, you know, on a search engine. I would not necessarily recommend using Google. You can look it up on a search engine and it's called the number two, check it out. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Uh, So anyway, let's uh, one, one, all right. One last story. I I didn't know if I was going to have time to do this, but my main story isn't, uh, you know, isn't that time consuming. So I want to get into this and this has to do with smart guns. All right. And smart guns, what is essentially being developed? And this has to do largely with the fallout of what's happening in Ferguson uh, with Michael Brown. And I'm not going to get into that here. Plenty of other news sources and podcasts have covered all that business. Uh, There's no no need for me to really discuss it here. Um, But the idea is, is that they are talking about and this is not in many ways a, a, a new idea. Okay, but. They want to there's there's a a couple companies out there now, uh, but in particular, Yardarm Technologies is looking into putting more or less a, a, a tracking system onto guns. And this would be at least at first for guns for police officers, where it will track and record. Picture it like a Fitbit for a pistol. Okay, it will track when it's been pulled out of its holster when it's been put back into its holster, when it's been fired, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we'll start tracking the bullets a la Judge Dredd, where like uh, the DNA was attached to every bullet that was shot. Uh, you know, not, not they're not talking about that level of, of sophistication. OK, but it's supposed to help with safety and more or less accountability for law enforcement. Now, this is an interesting thing to bring up, OK, the, this chipping of guns, because I find it fascinating that everything, you know, they want to put a chip in everything. But the one thing nobody ever talks about putting a chip into are guns. And, you know, I can have some really wild theories as to why I think that is. Um, but w- the first thing I just want to say about this with with yardarm technologies is that if you think that this, inf- this data can't be falsified to, you know, clean up a mess As it were, uh, you're kidding yourself. You know, I wouldn't trust this. Uh, It's just like, you know, with there's been cases where they put, which I agree with, you know, having cameras uh, put on law enforcement officers, okay, to where you, you know, you see what's going on. And boy, there's just those damn convenient times where shit. the camera just didn't work. I know, I know. Like four people are dead, uh, and we don't know what happened. But the police officer clearly, we must trust him. And yeah, geez, that that camera just didn't work. Uh, so th- you know that same deal with with this. You know, with these these tracking abilities on on pistols and and you know whatever sidearms that uh, the police would use is that I just have a very hard time believing that somehow. Oh yeah, this is going to have hundred percent uptime. It's really going to solve a whole bunch of problems. No, bottom line, this isn't going to help anything, uh, in my opinion. Cameras is about the best thing. And, you know, even that has really had poor implementation. I can't picture this being any better. Um, But, you know, let's get into uh, pretty much the main story. And I don't have an actual story really to lay out. Uh, It's only a a series of things that have occurred. And I have honestly, I, I have a bit of a quandary. I have a mystery on my hands because there's something that I really don't understand. I don't get it at all why this is and the, what this mystery is, is Facebook. Now I, I was able to, you know, crack the joke and, and I did enjoy doing it uh, with episode 99 B where I was quote unquote in the year 2099 (laughs) where I said that uh, Facebook in 2024, I think I said, that Facebook, you know, the, the company just crumbled, OK, because people had had enough of the conservative, uh, you know, uh, uh, policies that they had and they were tired of their uh, maybe I didn't mention this part. But also, you know, they were tired of their privacy being invaded, their lack of anonymity, you know, all of this. And I've talked about Facebook uh, recently, you know, what I think they're trying to do in the past. I've talked about how I think Facebook is looking to become uh, more or less the national ID for countries. Um, And, you know, but here's the thing is that, you know, I mentioned about, you know, their conservative uh, policies, which are still in place and they have a big policy change actually coming up starting on January 1st, 2015. Um, But, you know, and also the fact that that you really have no anonymity or privacy with them. But then here's the problem is that suddenly this is the part that's a mystery to me is suddenly Facebook is seeming to care very much. And I don't just mean because of, you know, what they they talked about at F8, where they allow for anonymous login to other websites, but suddenly they are implementing the right technologies. They're doing it right. They're doing encryption. They're doing a degree of anonymity right. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm lost. And part of this comes from, there's two things. One is that Facebook now has an official Tor site. Yeah, you can go. There is there is a Facebook dot onion that you can access and it is supported and run and created by Facebook. Now, uh, and there's been some other evidence that came out this week, Tor, uh, as I have been warning for almost two months, if not longer now, that this may not be this is not, you know, a killer app. That This is not as anonymous as we have thought over time. Um but regardless, a lot of people still can use it. It is still a viable solution for doing various things. Um, but but Facebook, you know, it created a tour site. Now they also Facebook is the owners and, you know, now more or less, you know, in control of development and direction for WhatsApp, which is an exceptionally popular uh, messaging app. OK, and they just in the past couple weeks have implemented yeah, one, okay, one of the best apps out there for, for messaging, which actually works with SMS, which it replaces your, uh, you know, your texting app on your phone, is TechSecure, made by Open Whisper Systems. Um, you know, Moxie Marlin Spike, one of the best, recommended by Edward Snowden himself, actually. Uh, TechSecure is the creme de la creme of messaging apps. It, it does the, the client-side encryption. It does it right. okay. And WhatsApp has now implemented the encryption style that TechSecure uses. So technically, it's better than Telegram. As far as implementation. Now, I'm not recommending WhatsApp over Telegram. And part of that reason is it's owned by Facebook. But that's but that's the mystery. That's the quandary. <laughs> You know, it doesn't make any sense. You're making this great, you know, the, some of the best encryption we know of today, and Facebook's implementing it. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, this this is the problem. Like, I want to have an answer to this. Why they're doing this? I don't fucking know. I don't know why they've made a tour site. I don't know why they're implementing, you know, um, you know, Moxie's encryption technology into WhatsApp. I don't get it. Maybe the only thing I could figure is that they're concerned that people are that they are losing share to Telegram, uh, you know, around the world, because, you know, you you might not know anybody in the U.S. that uses Telegram. But if you leave the U.S., suddenly a whole shit ton of people use Telegram. Maybe this has to do with we talked about this a, a, a few episodes ago, how in Korea. In Korea, they're running to, to Telegram by the millions because, you know, come to find out the government's tracking everything with the most popular messaging apps over there. And so they're like, well, let's what's what's one that that is designed to fuck with governments. Well, Pavel Durov created Telegram for that very purpose. And so they're running to that. And so maybe they're just scared that they're going to lose share. But I just I, I have a hard time believing that, you know, Facebook's bread and butter in large part you know, and I think still to this day comes from the fact that it is the largest collection of data that the NSA, CIA, alphabet soup agencies get to access. And to actively work against that doesn't, again, still, it just doesn't make any sense. And I, I really, I don't, I don't necessarily have an answer to that, but I don't trust it. Like I said, you know, don't don't you don't have to follow the money, follow the attitude. And the attitude of Facebook is not that they are concerned about your anonymity or privacy, because at the end of all this, they still have a real name policy. You have to give them your you know, you quote unquote, have to use your real name. Okay, so they're, they're not concerned about anonymity at all. At the end of it, the attitude is still way off. Um, But I mean, you know, I know a lot of people use WhatsApp to talk to their family and whatever. And I guess this is a good thing that that you can do that. Uh, But I I wouldn't I don't want to use WhatsApp at all, (laughs) you know, but but I'm boggled. I really I don't know. I don't understand what Facebook's play is here. And also. As I said before, and I haven't gotten any more evidence on this other than the fact that the team at Circle, which is a Bitcoin payment solution, not unlike Coinbase, BitPay, whatever, uh, that they were at Facebook HQ uh, about two months ago. But I honestly, I get the sense I think they're going to be implementing Bitcoin. They already started putting in a buy button that they're testing on Facebook now. And I think Bitcoin is going to be part of that. I really do. And I think it's going to be, you know, through Circle, of course, but they're going to they're going to put this in. And so, I, again, one more thing where I am totally confused because here they are putting in cryptocurrencies. Now, we all know that Bitcoin is not, you know, the most anonymous thing on planet Earth, even though initially it thought it was, you know, we thought it was uh, or it was believed to be. OK, but this is so strange. They're like they're creating a you know, a little a little crypto economy, a little a little crypto society with Facebook but please I want your emails give me some theories because I'm lost other than with the WhatsApp versus Telegram thing you know that's about the only thing that makes any sense folks I'm totally lost as to why this is and I'm not going to go start supporting Facebook just because they're doing encryption right or because they support Bitcoin but fuck you got me man (laughs) I wish I had some kind of answer at the end of that segment but by and large I don't I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. Give me something. <laughs> Brian at ZomiOfflineGames.com. I'll be back with more. Behind the wall of history, there is a story that has never been told. A story of a world that ended only to usher in the beginning of our own. This is a time that ancient tomes could only describe in metaphor. Prepare for the very first video game from Zomia Offline Games, Hyperchronius. Hyperchronius will allow you to experience a time beyond your imagination in a fully interactive 16 bit two dimensional role playing experience. Hyperchronius. Know the past and you can know the future. From Zomia Offline Games. computer.
0: Yes, Agent Sovereign.
2: I think you need a name other than computer. What did you
0: have in mind?
2: How about something like Cora?
0: I like the sound of that.
2: Do you really? Are you able to like something, computer, or Cora?
0: I am programmed to do anything you wish.
2: My my. Well, Brian, why don't we spin the roulette wheel and see how far this can go? Cora? Activate your hard light holographic representation.
0: Based upon your past adventures, I have chosen this form. Whoa. Do you like what you see?
2: Why, Cora? I had no idea.
0: Tech Roulette.
2: It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover the stories that uh, get sent to me by various Sovereign Tech listeners. Of course, plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. Brian at ZomiOfflineGames.com is the email address. And hey, you know, encryption that as far as we know still works. I mean, I guess you unless you have like a key logger when you're typing the stuff into the into the email window is PGP. And my PGP key is in the show notes. There's so much in the show notes at sovereigntech.com. And I know they're tough to look at. They're tough to find now. Uh, in fact, I am I am developing zomiofflinegames.com is i'm going to implement a website on there that is going to be the main sovereign tech page as well. And so you'll be able to type in sovereigntech.ninja and uh, and it will take you at that when this gets developed it will take you to the segment of the zomi offline games site that will be all about sovereign tech. And because SoundCloud really really fucked up like how the show notes show up Um, I appreciate that they're trying to make SoundCloud more social, and so they wanted to highlight the comments uh, on the sound more. And so what they did was is now instead of beneath the sound, when you click on a sound on SoundCloud, instead of um, instead of it showing the show notes underneath it or the notes or notations for, say, it was a song or something. Now it just shows the comments and that's fine. And I love interacting with people. In fact, again please if you've never seen the comments on on a sovereign tech episode go to soundcloud you know go to sovereigntech com that's the soundcloud page right now and you know go there and you can read those because there's great info uh, you know a lot of a lot of interesting stuff laid out on there and uh, and I love to converse with people on it so but anyway, now they put it in the top right and you can't you can barely see it, especially if you have a smaller screen or a smaller resolution screen and you have to click show more. And then it does this pop up showing you the show notes. But on those show notes is the PGP key amongst a million other things. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the crypto addresses to donate NXT or, or uh, Bitcoin, you know, take your pick and. Uh, all that's there, you know, to, to access. There's, there's there's a bunch of information. There's also uh, the actually a coin tip. Um, coin tip is is an interesting Bitcoin, you know, way to tip people. And there's there's an address there, SovereignTech.tip.me, uh that that you can access there as well. Whole slew of things in the show notes, so please do look at those if you never have. Um, but I I admit that they are tough to find, and I'm going to resolve that by pretty much creating a more traditional sovereign tech webpage. So keep your eyes, uh, your eyes open for that, but plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. Of course you can send me stories via Twitter, uh, Google plus if you really want to, you know, and thus via hangouts or whatever. Uh, and you know, just, just plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. And of course, Bitmessage, uh, one of my personal favorites, you, my bit message address is also in the show notes. Uh, I have a lot of, a lot of people send me stories via bit message and uh, Bitmessage bit messages. It's really easy for me to actually get back with people on BitMessage because it's, not, it's nowhere near as cluttered as my inbox. Uh, so, you know, it's business, business only, and usually it's people that, that have a really good idea of what they're doing when they get in touch with me via BitMessage. So I do love that. Feel free to use it. Um, but let's get into this week's story. And this week's story, this is kind of a sequel story to 99A, not 99B, but 99A. Uh, and this is now granted, this story is coming from alternate. Okay. And alternate, no doubt is a leftist rag. Okay. (laughs) But regardless, you know, this is the thing when you're a libertarian or anarchist or voluntarist, take your pick of the term. You really, you're not the middle road. I mean, you're, you're not even on the road roads. We don't need roads, right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, but you can really glean from all these different sources because you kind of see all sides when you're, you know, when you're uh, ideologically completely out of the system. Okay. So I get annoyed when a lot of, you know, liberty oriented people just still write off, you know, these like leftist news sources because they actually still have a lot of interesting things to say. And, but I'm just, you know, full disclosure, this is coming from Alternet. So you can really guess sort of the angle they're coming from. But I think they're more or less right about this. Uh, or, you know, at least this is uh, this is not an unfair assessment to be made. And so I'll start reading here. Startup bros trying to biohack vaginas is the problem with Silicon Valley. Now, believe me, I am more than happy to talk about vaginas on Sovereign Tech. They are easily my favorite things on planet. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh And and so let's start talking about it. Um, When a man introduces a made up project to make lady parts smell like peaches, it's hard to be surprised that the industry is largely straight white men. Now, we'll talk about that angle as we read into the story, but let's let's read on. Don't look now, ladies, but your vagina is getting disrupted as if as if this week didn't have enough Uber style Silicon Valley dirt bags for you. Uh, Every week has one too many. A couple of startup bros went and outlined their vision for sweet peach, a probiotic supplement that lets women biohack their vaginas and supposedly make them smell like ripe peaches. If you are a woman, you might wonder which problem this is really solving. If you are a woman and have uh, uh, heretofore eschewed the douchebag industrial complex, you might, in fact, be perfectly happy with your healthy vagina's natural smell and have never felt the slightest urge to have the scent of fuzzy fruits waft up from, from your lady garden. And you almost certainly would wonder why two guys have such firm ideas of how your vagina should smell. Well... To give Austin Heinz and Gilad Gome their, their due, it wasn't even their company. And the goal of Sweet Peach uh, Probiotics actual founder, Audrey Hutchinson, wasn't to eliminate vagina-scented vaginas at all. The probiotic was developed as part of an accelerator program run by Cabrian, Cambrian Genomics. Remember these guys? These are the guys, they don't want their shit to stink. These are the guys, Austin Heinz. We talked about a 99A. These are the guys that want to replace every single life form on Earth with something designed by humanity, because somehow humanity thinks that it can still outsmart nature. Let's read on uh, Cambrian Genomics, a, a biotech startup that just raised $10 million to fund its DNA printing systems. Uh, and Heinz, its CEO, owns a 10% stake in Sweet Peach. She used Cambrian's technology to print a virus to kill off the microbes that cause things like yeast infections. And though uh, Gome or Gome, I don't know, told reporters that the fruity smell is an added bonus that lets women know it's working. The name is reportedly only a reference to the fruit's long history as reference to vagina. Uh, Gome also offered that to take an idea from Linda Lovelace in Deep Throat, a woman could hack into her microbiome and make her vagina smell like roses, roses and taste like Diet Cola. So apparently the vaginal smell of women's vaginas is a big focus of his. One male tech writer has suggested that it's unfair that the media has focused, uh, as Sweet Peach's story went viral late last uh, late this week, on changing the smell of a woman's vaginal secretions when its product has these other nobler functions. Come on, ladies, he seems to he seems to suggest you owe it to the creators not to get worked up about making you smell nicer while fixing your nasty yeast issues. You see, in today's digital world, it is apparently a tad old-fashioned to think about vaginas as just tubular sex organs that form part of the female reproductive tract instead of, uh, let's see, yeah, instead of as input-output devices as those whose functions can be reprogrammed. In Heinz's words, we print life. Life is very simple. It's just code. Still, since it's called sweet peach and not dead yeast, the founders of Cambrian Genomics, Austin Heinz and Gilad. Uh, Gomez took it upon themselves to explain how sporting a peachy vagina will help women better connect to themselves. Heinz, for instance, told reporters, are are, all your smells are not human. They're produced by the creatures that live on you. And Gomez added, we think it's a fundamental human right to not only know your code and the code of things that live on you, but also to rewrite that code and personalize it. But life is not very simple, and it's not just code. Thank you, article writer, for that one. Life is not that simple, and it's not just code. Making women's Mons Venuses smell like they've sat on a fruit basket isn't empowering, but it does reflect the tech industry's increasingly apparent problem with women. It does reflect the male-dominated, megalomaniac conviction that a complex world can be boiled down to a series of discrete Problems to be solved via algorithms, flowcharts, culture, and an answer that it's all in the name of progress. Even if you want to spy on a woman who calls you an asshole. uh, that which there's links in the show notes for some other crazy stories here. And when the problem that the bros think needs solving is how vagina-y vaginas smell, even when the product won't do that, Uh, When the product won't do that and the actual founder never intended it to, it's no surprise the people choosing what problems to solve are largely straight white men funded by other straight white men. According to a recent study, the vast majority of U.S. venture capitalist investments go to companies led exclusively by men. Only 15 percent of nearly 7000 VC backed companies analyzed in the in the research had a woman executive and only 2.7 percent had a female chief executive. Even more troublesome is that women are actually losing ground in venture capital leadership the total proportion of women vc partners dropping to six percent in 2014 from 10 percent in 1999 there is a crusader like zeal to the way in which startups startup types talk about how they plan to change the world how they plan to hack the future and disrupt the present uh inspiring as uber ceo travis kalanick put this week the public at large there is a sense that all technological advancements are positive advancements. And while to err is human, to code is divine. The current controversy under Uber's internal data mining feature, referred to within the company as Godview, is a case in point, which we talked about last week on Sovereign Tech. But innovation is only really meaningful if it contributes to a more equitable society. And much of what Silicon Valley terms disruption is simply a bleeping, blurping version Of the same social status quo. Now, I imagine a whole lot of libertarians are like, oh, shit, that feminist bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. Forget the feminism aspect of it. We don't even have to go there. Okay, it's not necessary to discuss what this story uh, has to tell because there's a lot wrapped up in this story that a whole lot of time was not spent on in the article. itself. Okay. Uh, First off, you know, speaking of of the last point on it with the VCs, uh, this is a real issue. In fact, I know far too many people that are interested in getting VC money for what they do. And if we're going to talk about skewed uh, perspectives and skewed incentives for a startup and for what you're doing, in my opinion, the instant OK, the instant that you get VC money involved, you lose your way because the purse, that VC purse has purse strings. There are strings attached. And they are against perhaps your most noblest of intentions because they have but one motive. And I'm not saying that these are necessarily a terrible motive. OK, I'm not saying profit is you know as I said before in Sovereign tech profits not a dirty word but neither is value but vCS aren't interested in value they are interested in profit and profit alone if they're interested in value they would have came up with your idea they would have thought of it and implemented it with their own money no they have they have one goal Okay, and they are part of the financial game that doesn't necessarily go for so much innovation as much as, you know, just how can I how can I grow this money without actually, you you know, by by investing in something else? And I'm not necessarily saying that that's inherently an evil thing. I'm just saying that let's have some perspective on what a VC really means and all it really means is purse strings. Moving on. Uh so that that's the issue. VCs bad idea. You don't want them. Okay? And it's really disheartening that the Bitcoin space is fucking loaded with them. You know, no no one here is saying, "Oh, if you're rich, you know, you're a bad guy." No, 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 no. I'm just saying ha- again, have the perspective of what a VC is really all about, and recognize that that's what most of these people in the crypto space are begging to have. Please, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, come over here. I'll do whatever you want. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll put a back door in. Just give me twenty million, right? But now let's talk about, you know, peach-smelling pussies. Okay. <laughs> uh, first off, I'll just come right out and say I have no problem with, by and large. How, you know. Vaginas smell. Uh, I have no problem at all. I I go right into if I go face first. <laughs> yeah, please. I I think it's it's rather a nice smell. 99 percent of the time now, of course, you know, if there's an issue which is originally what this was supposed to be solving. Well, you know, yeast infections and, and whatever else. OK, D-d-d- that's that's how it is. You know, I get it. Those are things you know we we want to to solve these health issues. That makes a ton of sense. But as far as it, you know, uh, as as far as making pussies smell good, uh, I couldn't care less. I don't think they smell bad. And the just the narrative around this, really, it really is true, because it, it's very much saying, all right, that, you know, yeah, you know, your your the way, the way your vagina smells the way your lady bits smell, that's a real problem. And there's no way to say it to say that this is somehow even just to come out and say that this is an advantage, that it's going to smell like, you know, like peaches or that it's going to taste like like Diet Coke. Is shaming in itself. It is just coming right out and saying, nope, there's something wrong with you, lady. When there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you at all. It's who you are. It's how you are. I mean, if you develop some kind of condition, which, again, this was supposed to originally uh, and it was, a, you know, it was devised by by a woman in her company. If it's supposed to you know, do that. Well, I mean, OK, that's fine. But then to come out and like just even talk about it in this way. I mean, if a person wants it to smell like that, OK, then people can, you know, have their stuff smell however they want it to smell. I mean, to some degree, you know, like I. I've talked about it on Sovereign Tech before, where if you want to, you know, as a guy, if you want to make your semen taste better, drinking pineapple juice allows for that. If that's something you're interested in, fine. But that's the thing is that these guys make these blanket statements saying that there's something wrong with you, that this is a side benefit. They could just say it has a side effect of this. Okay, but to say it's a side benefit is insulting to everybody involved. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And here's the other thing too, that I mean, huge issues with this article in general. Okay, but but here's here's another part too, is that. Do you th- the thing is, is that, you know, when they talked about when when uh, uh, Cambrian genomics talked about making their shit not stink or they're talking about, you know, vaginas, you know, uh, you know smelling like peaches and all this, you know, all that, uh, you know, enhanced bacteria or bacteria killing stuff. Look, just like with GMOs. All right. Just like with GMOs that. You know, GMO foods that when they are planted near heirloom crops, suddenly the heirloom crops, which are not GMO, they take on the traits of the GMO. And then they are no longer heirloom because most GMOs, you can't replant the seeds. Maybe that's true for all of them. I, I You know, I could be behind on my knowledge on that. But regardless, that's a danger. OK, is this kind of there's this cross pollination. And what's going to happen is, is that w- with With Cambrian genomics, you know, fucking around, not in a good way, fucking around with, you know, with E. coli, you know, and all this bacteria and stuff. This is probably going to spread on toilet seats. And so if you say you didn't want your, you know, your vagina to smell like a peach. Too bad. Because some asshole in Silicon Valley Thought he knew better than evolution. Thought he knew better. For you. Or if you wanted your shit to continue to stink, too bad. And that's really the issue here. These guys are daliancing with so many, you know, essential building blocks. So many basic things that they don't. I don't think they really realize, and they don't care. And you say, well, they got to know it now. No, you know, Monsanto didn't know, or if they knew, they did it on purpose. To where you are killing off heirloom crops that farmers rely upon, that society relies upon to grow every year, not have to replant seeds again. Or that third world countries or whatever, you know, whatever country of whatever, uh, you know, whatever economic state they're in rely upon to continue to grow and not to have to, to you, know, re, you know, keep replanting seeds or whatever. I mean, this is just this is fucking up everything. It has the potential to fuck up everything. And it speaks to a much, uh, a a very large issue. Okay. In that this attitude and this attitude runs, you know, through every subculture, it it runs through it all. It's even in the Liberty movement. This attitude is, that somehow everything can be fixed through code, everything. We just got to make a better algorithm. We just, you know, we just got to, we got to, you know, just, just adjust. We got to make a little, little, uh, you know, do a little gene therapy. (laughs) You know, we just got to alter the genes of humans a little bit. Everything will be fine. We can, we can recode it all. We can, we can do, you know, we can solve everything by just making a little change here and a little change there. And this does, this, this runs rampant throughout, uh, the people that are calling out for Bitcoin 2.0 technologies to, you know, replace government and all that. It's the same thing. They somehow think that, you know, that, that code can, and recoding can solve everything and that everything fits neatly into code when it doesn't. Things do not fit neatly into code. And the idea that you want to, it's like, well, you know, we've got all this harmful bacteria. We need to kill this stuff off. Look, folks, you don't know that that bacteria is harmful. We, I mean, it's still the reasons that humans have sex are still up in the, they're still theoretical. They're up in the air. One of the reasons, though, is to—is this idea that the act of sex is part of a proverbial arms race. I talk about it all the time on sovereign tech because it's the theory that I more or less subscribe to, which is the red queen theory. And that there is a point to that bacteria. And the part the part of the point is actually helpful to you. It's not harmful. It's helpful to you. It's what builds up immune systems. It's what makes humans survive all the various trials that nature throws upon species. To say that somehow we have this grand understanding of how to make life better at the level of the genome. Boy, that's some hubris, man. That that That's some. <laughs> and, you know, I'm reminded, actually, I think it was a quote from Dr. Who. Imagine that I'm going to quote Dr. Who where he's talking to, you know, these people saying, you've harnessed the power of the atom, uh, you know, you're creating life and labs and, and all this. He says, you know, if you, you feel like you have the power of gods, you know, he's you lot. He says, if you have the power of gods, then accept the responsibility. And that's, that speaks so much to this. The people, the people that want to do this, Look at how fuck the feminists. I'm not even going there. I'm just saying, look at what they're saying about women. I don't think anybody could argue that they are shaming women's, you know, just their natural smells and body parts. I think that's inarguable here that that's what's going on. And you are going to give a person that can't see that, that can't grasp that concept of what they're doing. You're going to give them the power of a proverbial God. God. No way. No way. Again, I said this in episode 99A is Austin Heinz coming out and saying, yeah, the thing is, we got this government thing. It's a real problem. You know, we got to do something about that. No, none of them are saying that. Yeah. Okay. so in in Silicon Valley, they all talk about how government regulations are, you know, is is a hindrance to going further. But none of them are saying that the idea, the very nature of government itself is a problem. None of them are saying that. And we want to hand over to them a rewriting of every single life form, including humanity on planet Earth. Oh, I hope nobody's supporting this. I hope I hope this gets written off. You know, just just as it should. But maybe they're not because they're getting they're being given a ton of money because really, at the end of the day, a bunch of frat boys are creating the world that they want. And I think government's interested in this sort of thing. I think at the end of the day, you know, not that you necessarily need to follow, you know, always follow the money, but I'm sure DARPA is pretty heavily involved in a lot of this stuff. So don't think, well, we just need to regulate the shit out of these guys. No, that's 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 not going to solve it. Okay, the solution to all of this, the solution to any of these problems is not to rewrite the code of life uh, and life is not simple, nor is it just code. The solution is that we work on ourselves. You know, therapy, dealing with traumas, dealing with, you know, getting our heads on straight. That's what needs to be worked on. And then maybe we can look into, you know, what wonderful abilities science grants us.
1: Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul.
3: There's been a lot of warnings for women about how wearing thongs and g-strings can cause vaginal and bladder infections. Even the gynecologists who consult for my book say that women should be aware of the possible connection. However, I just did a search of seven journals that deal with gynecology and urology, and I couldn't find a single study about thongs. That's right, not a single credible study on thongs and their possible relationships to infections. However, I'm not about to ignore the clinical observations of some pretty outstanding gynecologists who feel that if women are getting bladder or vaginal infections, their thongs and g-strings are one of the first things that should go. The reason is because some thongs and g-strings are like butt floss, a term that's often used to describe them. The thong makes direct contact with the anus, which has bacteria on it that can cause vaginal and bladder infections. Then, due to sweat and moisture, the thong is often damp, so it's easy for the bacteria to zip-line down the thong right into a woman's vagina, which is only an inch from her anus. Also, the thong material rubs against a woman's labia, causing irritation that could make it ripe for infection. So if your partner's having infections, hopefully you'll join her gynecologist in encouraging her to give the thongs or g-strings a rest.
1: For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com.
0: Agent Sovereign, I'm sorry to interrupt our fun, but you are receiving an important message from Decentral. I suggest you take it.
2: <sighs> oh, Cora, you are more human than I gave you credit for. Put it through. Important messages. It is time for Important Messages, where I answer messages that get sent to me through the various channels available. Of course, the email address, Brian at Zomia Offline Games dot com and you can uh, of course that email is listed in the show notes it's also on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com com just in case you're not sure how to spell zomia uh, offline games and uh, also of course twitter uh, one of the questions this week ha- is coming from twitter um, i still do have the old email address and some people have still emailed me there and that's okay and i you know i'll have that email address for for a while but eventually you know i'd I'll probably stop looking. There. <laughs> um, so SovereignTech at RiseUp.net is, of course, the old email address. But if you want to get in touch with me now, especially if you want to use PGP, brian at zomiofflinegames.com. Uh, and, of course, Google Plus is another way to get in touch with me. Uh, and BitMessage is, is a great one as well. So this week, uh, got Got to, I'm, I'm going to touch on actually a really huge subject here in a minute. But the first one is actually it was a question from Twitter. And the person had asked, uh, perhaps he missed it in a pe- in a previous episode. Um, but have you ever described where the name Golden Stallion comes from? And, of course, that's because, uh, you know, as I, I call myself, as I am introduced by the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy in the intro uh, as the Golden Stallion of the tech world, um, it's a fair question. And I don't know. I mean, again, we're in over 100 episodes now, so I don't know. You know, the show has uh, been going on for, you know, two years or so. Uh, I don't remember when the last time we talked about it was. And I certainly don't expect people to listen to the whole backlog or even remember everything that comes out of my mouth. I mean, it, it's OK. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not anticipating you know, that. And so it's important to, you know, redress I think, uh, questions just like last week, we, I, uh, I got a lot of great response from this when I talked about how to be anonymous, how to use technology anonymously. Uh, that needed to be covered again because it had been, uh, you know, a year, if not at least quite a few months, uh, since it had been talked about. So it's important to redress these things. And, uh, so the golden stallion, I'll actually, I'll, I'll talk about some of the other, like where triple black comes from too. Um, the golden stallion of the tech world. OK, pretty much let's just break it down to the Golden Stallion. Where does that come from? The Golden Stallion was something that a as I've admitted <laughs> on Sovereign Deck before uh, I used to be when I lived in New York, I was a, uh, a wrestling fan as in pro wrestling WWE and, uh, you know, all those WCW, UCW and, and TNA and all that. Uh, and there was a wrestler, some argues is the greatest of all time. And that is Ric Flair, uh, who anyway, he was a great wrestler and he was a really like kind of a, like over the top guy. Uh, and he called, you know, he he used the phrase at one point, the Golden Stallion, which was in reference to the fact that he was part of what they call a stable, which is a group, uh, you know, a group of wrestlers called the Four Horsemen. And their symbol was actually a golden stallion. And so he would kind of address himself as that, but then in really in reality he was more referencing the four horsemen. And so uh so I just kind of took Ric Flair's, you know, the golden stallion. I took that and just added of the tech world. Because if Ric Flair was the golden stallion of the wrestling world, I was going to be the golden stallion of the tech world. And it worked. And <laughs> And admittedly, it's not the first time this is not bragging. I'm just laying out a little bit of history. It's not the first time uh, that I had been referenced and don't read into this in any other way than is necessary. But I had been referenced to um, a horse in the past. I had even been called secretariat at one point. Uh, Boy, that was over a decade ago, but. Anyway, <laughs> hotel in Atlanta, it's a long story. So uh, so that that's that's where that comes from. I just used it. I, I used it as uh, it was just, a, you know, this really uh, out of place and oddball nickname. And, and, and it just it, it worked. And also, it is my warrant, Canary. Uh, I'm admitting that to you now. OK, <laughs> in that if I ever stop using the name Golden Stallion or Stallion or if I ever take it out of the intro to the show, It's a pretty good bet that someone's been in touch. They, them, those, whatever. So there you go. That's where Golden Stallion comes from. Uh, Not not a maybe not a very exciting uh, reason for that nickname, but but there it is. Uh, (laughs) So the uh, now the triple black thing, uh, that's another one that a lot of people ask about. Uh, With triple black, uh, that comes from the fact that ever since I was Oh boy, about 17. In fact, I have a picture where uh, I'm totally triple black, except I did. I think I had a pair of blue jeans on and I'm guessing it was because I was uh, I was washing uh, everything else that I had at the time or whatever. And it was all that was laying around or something. Um, not that I allow that to get by, by me now. <laughs> now everything you should see my closet. Literally, it's just like this black hole. Uh <laughs> anyway. and so triple black uh the reason I started wearing that there there's just there's an endless amount of reasons uh but at at the end of the day you know most of the you know the the uh the role models I had at the time a lot of them just seemed to always wear black like just all black all the time uh so that worked um I've had a desire since I was incredibly young to be a ninja I've mentioned that countless times uh and you know and thus by default you know I I developed a love for the superhero Batman ever since I was very young and that was because he was a ninja and you know so it, it just kind of it became my it's what I started doing you know from from like age 16 17 on you know <laughs> and, uh and and it stuck with me yeah except for during the military uh after I got out of the military like I kind of I started wearing, I got married and I did all kinds of dumb things when I was married. But anyway, uh, when I came back to, you know... a little while, around 2007 or whatever, I started wearing all black again. And so triple black just comes from the fact that, you know, I'm wearing literally all black all the time. You know what my underwear when I even wear underwear uh, is, is all is black. Uh, socks are black. Shoes are black. Everything is completely black. So that's the reference to triple black. And it works pretty well when I ideologically became an anarchist, because that is the, uh, you know, the common dress known around the world. Uh, you know that that they wear all black, uh, even like uh, SEC three, Samuel Konkin, who I have a tremendous respect for and love his works. And I consider them required reading for anarchists. Uh, uh, he wore all black all the time, too. Uh, so, you know, I was in good company, something that I was already doing for incredibly cheesy, nerdy reasons uh, like the the Black Lance and Wing Commander Four. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, it worked. It worked for me. So that's that's what the triple black things, you know, means Uh, some people it's it's kind of funny actually talking about that, because some people I think when they ask me about it, because I get asked a lot uh, like at Porkfest and at events or, or, you know, if I'm just visiting people or whatever, they, they I think they expect me to like they they think it means something not dissimilar from a black armband like. You know, did somebody die? Do you wear all black for, you know, is this like a Johnny Cash thing? You wear all black for the downtrodden and all this bullshit. And no, no, it's nothing like that at all. Uh, it's well thought out, but it's all very uh, one could say superficial reasons, though. I suppose the anarchist reasons now aren't superficial at all. They're the perhaps the only thing that matters. So that's that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I as I understand it, I, I've. Uh, I've inspired many others now to, to wear triple black all, you know, pretty much quite a bit, if not all the time. So, and whatever, I'm not here, you know, this isn't a cult of personality or anything, but, uh, I don't think it, you know, I think it's actually kind of cool that anarchists wear all black. Uh, I think it does make a statement, you know, and it's the idea that you don't, you're a person of no country and that's what the, you know, the black stands for. It has, you know, you have no flag. And so I think that's, if that's a statement you can make in clothing, cool, do it. I love it. So anyway, the initial reasons for a lot of this stuff again are you know not not very deep, but now they they do have some deep roots from warrant canaries to statements of one's ideology. Uh, they do mean quite a bit. So there there is that. Uh, I do I I've made up a ton of other nicknames. The Man of Tomorrow. Uh, I'm, I've been starting to use more recently. Uh, all that stuff and to get into those is a whole other thing. But what I want to talk about next is. Uh, something that I get asked a lot about and and it 's been for some time, and i 've always teased and i 've never really given the answer to, and so now I want to give the answer to it. and that is including in the special 99 or in, the, in the episode, not special, in the episode 99 b, I mentioned that there was no money in 2099 in the permanent autonomous zone on Osiris one, money was not used. And a lot of people have asked me, hey, you, you know, would you talk about this or, hey, what do you mean by that? And so I want I want to discuss it. OK. And it might have started, I think how this how the question started was a long, long time ago uh, on Sovereign Tech, where I was talking about Star Trek because there was actually a tech story relative to it. And I had said I had made the statement that I am open to a world without money. And I think that that's possible. And so I think that's where the question started. It was like, what are you talking about that there's no money? You know, what is this post scarcity stuff? What is all this? And this is important to discuss because I think, first off, we need to lay out some terms. We need to lay out some definitions of what things mean. Okay. And so what is money? Well, money is, uh, and actually, if you listen to one of my first Bitcoin talks, which was about, uh, is Bitcoin more real than gold? Uh, money is defined by William Stanley Jevons. He gives five criteria. But bottom line, money is a medium of exchange. Now, it's a medium of exchange, which means it's an in-between. It's in the middle. Okay. It is between you and the, the item that you want from someone else. Okay. Okay. And so it's purchasing power, you know, that's, that's what, that's what money is. So do I believe, so let's, let's get this, let's get this clear. Do I believe that there can be a world without a medium of exchange? Probably not. Now, if you have replicator technology from Star Trek, and if everything's powered by a Dyson sphere, Yeah, maybe (laughs) then maybe everything can just be produced, you know, uh, are, you know, can a world exist where the means of production like 3D printing, okay, and the means of energy production like solar power or, you know, some like thorium nuclear fission and, you know, all this all this crazy, you know, where, where power, you know, is literally produced for almost nothing. Can you get to a world where where that is so? Yes, I, th- I think that's actually not that's probably not too far off, especially if, you know, there was a part of the planet where all that could really be worked on and developed. Um, I don't think that's far off, you know, that that's really, really feasible. But there are some things, you know, and, and some might describe what I just described to you. Some might say that's post-scarcity. And if that is your definition of post-scarcity, then, yes, a post-scarcity world is possible. I might even think of post-scarcity in that way. And so in that regard, then, you know, if the idea is that you could 3D print food, you could 3D print your house, you could 3D print every anything—that that is, by and large, post-scarcity. Now, who's going to make that goo? Could you have robots develop that that goo? Uh, you know, and could the robots fix the other robots when something goes wrong? That way the humans don't even have to work to fix the robots. All this stuff. Yeah, maybe all of that's very possible. You know, and and I think actually right now, you know, by and large, the technology already exists, you know, to to do it. But there are things that, uh, you know, there are human services, okay. that barring the possibility of an AI and I do not support uh, the notion of an AI, especially being developed like people from Cambrian Genomics or, you know, people that get VC funding and whatever else. Uh, you know, you're, there are things like, well, I mentioned therapy earlier and there's believe me, therapy is a fine thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, to work through, uh, you know, traumas that you've gone through in your life. Okay. Or not just therapy, you know, maybe even, I I mean, take your pick, sex work, whatever. Okay. There are a lot of human services out there or a cook. Okay. Which You know, maybe I mean, that's the thing, you know, maybe maybe computers won't totally figure that out, how to how to make that perfect, you know, that human touch, that human innovation. Okay, that that seemingly, you know, only humans in the way that their 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 crazy brains work, come up with just these incredibly innovative ideas out of nowhere. Okay, machines right now aren't mimicking that. And maybe they never can. Like, maybe it's just not possible because you know, computers, AI would still work, even what we have now, as one would define AI, works in a very linear fashion, as to where the brain does not work in a linear fashion. It works. You know, uh, uh, you know, picture picture an atom, you know, you have the Bohr's model, the atom where these lines, you know, everything works in the in these various lines, when in actuality it's more like a cloud, uh, you know, an atom works like a cloud. And I think the brain's knowledge and its processes work more like a, you know, like a gaseous cloud than it works like a road, like a straight line. Maybe I'm not describing that that well. But anyway, Um. so these things, you know, these human services, these human elements, I think uh, will always require perhaps some, de- you know, uh, some degree of medium of exchange. OK, so you've got to be this is the thing. This is what makes the these words so tricky is you have to be really clear by what you mean by by all of this. OK, you know, what is money? Well, if money is a medium of exchange, then, yeah, maybe again, if you have these human services as always desirable. um, Then then you have to have something. Okay, you know, to to get that with now that money. Okay, if that if you want to call that medium of exchange money or maybe we can just say medium exchange, uh, that medium of exchange can take a lot of different forms. And this is where when I say that there's no money, this is this is more what this is. What I mean is that you may not need coinage or notes. OK, so you don't need paper money. You don't need, uh, you know, gold or silver, all that stuff. You don't need coinage or notes, which is what most people think of when they think of money. OK, even the, the dollar, a dollar is literally all the dollar is. It is a representation of uh, is of a, a troy ounce of silver or a pound of or whatever. It's representative of silver. That's all that was supposed to be. But that's what I'm saying is, is that I I think a world can exist, a world uh, or a society can thrive, be sophisticated, can grow, can be, uh, you know, attainable, can be desirable, even can be, you know, have have art and all this wild stuff and yet not use coinage or notes, you know, banknotes, whatever, uh, you know, paper money. Take, take your pick, whatever you generally think of as money, you know, it doesn't need that. And I think that's where a lot of people, a lot of libertarians, voluntarists, anarchists start freaking out, saying that's impossible. Now, that's not saying there isn't still some kind of medium of exchange. But to prove my point that that kind of world is possible. I'm going to go to some history. And the history I'm going to show you is the Incan Empire. Now, the Incan Empire is unfortunately an empire we don't know A whole hell of a lot about what we do know comes from. And this is almost a good thing, because to some degree you're getting a a secondhand account. You're getting a, a, you know, not maybe perhaps not an objective account, but you're getting an account that doesn't come from. It's like, okay, if you're in Nazi Germany. Oh, yeah. Life's great here, according to the Nazis. Ask the Jews, though. Okay, so it's good to kind of get like this outside perspective. And so the Incan Empire was encountered by the the conquistadors and various missionaries that, uh, you know, that were that came along for the ride with the conquistadors. And so a lot of what we know about the Incan Empire, we know from these missionaries, from these monks and priests and, you know, whichever else. And the what we know of the Incan Empire and the empire, even the word empire is kind of put upon them uh, by Western thought. Okay. But what we know about them is that they did not have coinage or notes. What the, but what we also know is that they had tremendous uh, sophisticated, you know, Like technologically, for what for the time frame, for what it was, it was incredibly technologically advanced. They were able to to make food just about anywhere. Uh, They were they were able to build gigantic cities, you know, on mountainsides. Uh, They were they pulled off really advanced feats that we would find difficult to achieve today. And they had art. They had music, they had everything, all the, you know, granted at a different scale, but all of the things that you would say defines a civilization and culture, they had. But they had no coinage and they had no notes. How did they pull this off? If they had no market economy and that's it, they really had no market economy as we would define that. How did they do this? And how were they so successful? Because this is the other thing you need to consider about the Incans, is that they were only beaten. It was only wiped out by two things. One, the conquistadors. OK, and the other was smallpox. And I'd venture to smallpox is the, the, the grander killer, the grander wiper leveler of their civilization. Well, see, they didn't develop medicine. they were behind the times. Those goddamn commies. No, shut up. That that's ridiculous. Okay, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, because the Incan civilization had only been around for, you know, a few hundred years, but it was growing. Okay. And so how did they pull this off? Well, what they had, and I'm not saying what they did was a good idea. Believe me, they still had nobles, they had hierarchies. Okay, this is not a communist, you know, they had property. Okay, they had property. They had no money, but they had property that could get passed down to their children and all this stuff. OK, while well, it was built was obviously slave labor. OK, which, oh, Western civilization was so above and beyond bullshit. That's what the conquistadors were doing. they were taking them as slaves. OK, so slave labor and they had what was more or less a time tax. Now, this is not Relative to Ithaca hours, it is completely different. It is unfortunately a centralized system. This required a centralized government of sorts to do this. Okay, but they had a time tax. You had to put in so many hours into, you know, society working for them, making, you know, aqueducts and and doing agriculture uh, and all of this. And then you reap the benefits. Of society, This is not unlike in South America or South Africa. There is what's called the Ubuntu party, which is talking about the same thing that, okay, for about eight hours a week, you're going to have to do this work. And but then everything is free to you. And that's actually, you know, and that's that's how it was for the Incas. They you know, they had to put in so many hours in a week. And it was, as we understand it, not an incredibly long work week by any stretch of the imagination. But then they had all the food they could possibly want. Because they were just so ingenious at at food production. And that was like their main concern was textile and food. Okay, so that's all the people had to work on. And when they did that and they weren't they were specialists. It wasn't jack of all trades either. Okay, there were specialists in each of these fields and they there was just plenty of it. They made so they were so good at producing food that there, there was just tons to go around. It was by some people's definition, a post scarcity society. So. The reason I bring this up is because too many people, particularly of the ANCAP persuasion, would say that a society without coinage or notes would not work, would not be successful, would not grow. But that's a lie. Historically, you are wrong. It can work. I'm not saying it's a good system. But it was one that the the Incan Empire may not have necessarily conquered with a military machine. They more or less people assimilated into it. They're like, wow, you guys have everything. And they and they were attracted to it, much like a lot of people would argue. They hope that that a free society would do that. They would see. Oh, see, we've got it all. We are free here, baby. We have worked it out. And then everybody else is going to want to be free. That's exactly how it worked with the Incan Empire. Not to say that they didn't do some degree of military conquest, perhaps at times. OK, but by and large, that's how it was. And they again, they were not dumb. They were incredibly advanced and they were advancing. They were growing. So can you have a society? I'm not saying a free society, per se, but can you have a society that works without What most people would consider money, unless you are going to call that time tax money or you're going to call that time tax a medium of exchange. It is possible. I don't want a time tax. Okay, I'm not I'm not interested in in that in where I am forced to put in so many hours to take advantage of what's in society Uh, that 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 doesn't intrigue me at all. Okay, Uh, but. The bottom line is, is that, yes, the these things are possible. But keep in mind that that sort of way of doing things now, the world with 3D printing and, you know, in cheap energy to the point of, you know, near zero marginal costs for everything, uh, you know, that I think is possible. And to where, like, if you want to work, you can choose to work very few hours in a work week and make enough money or make enough medium of exchange to get your, you know, to be able to get to the, the 3D printer goo and all this stuff to where you could live a very lavish life. Uh, where, you know, 99% of it is leisure. Okay. That is, you know, I see that as possible and I see that as pro-freedom, but if that is a forced thing where you are forced to put in a certain amount of time and it is not a choice to take advantage of everything and you cannot store up perhaps a medium of exchange or access to the production materials that you could do yourself, then that is not pro-freedom. And if it's central planned, that's not pro-freedom like zeitgeist. That's central planning. That's a problem.
3: Hey, look! Got an energy spike. Hold Launch. No! Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you? Then
0: we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is magic! Station 3 to Commander Ivanova.
1: The Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The
2: time is coming down! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and
0: fall, where dreams are born and die, where war and
2: hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Cora, have you downloaded the software needed for the assignment? I
0: have. It is installed and ready for use on the studio's main terminal.
2: Good. I want to get this over with so you and I can get back to what we were up to earlier. Who knew hologram could be so much fun? Two of the week. It is time for Tool of the Week. And this week's Tool of the Week, and of course, Tool of the Week is just a rebranding, a renaming of, you know, or a combination, an amalgamation of Software of the Week, Website of the Week. And this week is a website that has to do with the degree of hardware as well and software. And so it's the perfect tool because it's an amalgamation of all three things. And this is something I'm really excited about. And it was actually pointed out to me by a listener of the show and it is mozvr.com that's the website mozvr.com and what this is this is really exciting this is uh, this is next level stuff okay uh, mozilla the creators of firefox are developing the right now the virtual reality internet based internet and now you need an oculus rift uh, you need an Oculus device. I don't know if this would work with the uh, with the Gear VR from Samsung, which is also Oculus based. Um, but you need that, and and in fact, I'm certain it wouldn't work with it because uh, you have to have a specific build of Firefox. So until until they build a specific build of Firefox for VR for Android, this wouldn't be possible with the Gear VR. So when you have an Oculus, you download a specific. Go to MozVR.com and you you. Download a specific version of Firefox, and this will also be built into Chromium eventually. And you've put on an Oculus Rift, you, you change a couple settings or whatever, and then you can you can go to this website and you can enter the what is essentially a web portal to what Mozilla has already designed uh, for this, you know, this this virtual reality Internet And I've seen videos of what this looks like. I haven't, I wasn't able to test it out myself. I've heard uh second, I've heard from, uh, uh, from some that, that they, they saw this getting demonstrated and, and they're just, their mind was blown, really exciting stuff. And, uh, so I, I checked out, you know, I, I saw, okay, what does this look like on video? And it is insane. In fact, it's an interface we've talked about on Sovereign Tech before where like there's 3d depth where like you go into You know, you don't just go up and down or left and right on a page, but you actually go into the page, into elements of the page or whatever, and how how to describe it. It you can look around with the VR, with the Oculus headset and where your eye is more or less fixed on is what you can select. Like there's boxes that show you, uh, you know, that are choices of what Web page you want to go or whatever. And there's no keyboard. Keyboards don't work well with the Oculus technology, admittedly. I mean, you still use like the space bar for this demo, but, you know, it's it would have to be this this virtual reality uh, based Internet would, you know, Probably wouldn't work so well with with a keyboard. OK, but then you can you, you select the page and I think the guy had hit the space bar or something to do it and you select the page and you and then you go in and like you can just on the Internet, you're just traveling, you know, this 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 gorgeous Vista. You know, or you're going on like on a flight or a fishing trip and or you're looking around, you know, on a panoramic picture and you're going around within the picture. Like the idea would be that you go to, you know, your photos in OneDrive or on Google Plus and you could actually like really go into the photos with the VR. And it's all, you know, it's all proof of concept, but it's all like happening. It's all real. It's all already being developed. And this is a great angle for Mozilla with Firefox to get into and to get into now. Because, you know, that'll help them keep their relevance. Uh, And it just when you look at it it is an awesome technology. And I wish I could see a a real demo. And uh, and at at some point, hopefully I will. But um, but Paige Peterson, actually, the wonderful Paige Peterson, she she saw it and she said she was just, you know, she was blown away. She mentioned it to me on Twitter Uh, and Man, I mean, this is so exciting, and they already have integration. Though I haven't seen what this looked like, but they already had integration with Leap Motion. Leap Motion is the controller that allows you to control everything with hand gestures, which that would solve the the you know the the keyboard mouse uh, interaction, you know, with with uh, with the Oculus Rift, which is often you know kind of an, an inefficient way of controlling things. So, but what's really interesting is. If you ever saw the television show or read the books, but the television shows where it really shows it off. If you ever saw Tech War by William Shatner, it was they made like four or five movies and then they did a TV show about it. In that, that's exactly there is a bubble around and there, the Internet is something that you actually, you know, you VR wise, you know, virtual reality that you go in depth to and you use hand gestures just like you would with the leap motion. And so Mozilla didn't necessarily, you know, this is definitely one of those cases where science fiction called it. And they called it in the 90s that this is a way to get around the Internet. So the only concern I have is that, is it going to let you access the code using a VR headset and Leap Motion? Like, that's what tech war would allow you, is you can hack with it. Can you hack, quote-unquote, with this setup? If you can't, it still looks awesome and is really exciting. Hey, Sovereignati. Yes, you, Sovereign Tech listeners. I just want a minute of your time. But thank you so much, as always, for listening to the show and taking part in it every week in various ways through your messages and whichever. It really means so much to me. And here's the point where I let you know that if you enjoy the show, I want you to look in the show notes at sovereigntech.com and you'll find addresses for various cryptos like Bitcoin and NXT that you can donate. Also on the right-hand side of the page are affiliate links and even a way to donate via PayPal, uh, along with links to how you can follow me on social media like Twitter or Google Plus, or if you want to be really saucy, you can just follow me on SoundCloud. I assure you, everything you can do for the show really does help and it's much appreciated. Again, thank you so much for listening and for going on this fun little journey with me that is Sovereign Tech. I really, I love all of you. But uh, let's get back to it.
0: Agent Sovereign.
2: I asked you to call me Brian, Cora.
0: Brian, I could hack into their system far faster if you would like.
2: I would not like. Humans don't need to hand over all their abilities to machines.
0: But earlier you said I...
2: Cora, no human could do what you did earlier. Trust me. HackSec. It is time for HackSec. And, you know, before we get into HackSec, which, of course, is where we talk about hackers and security, uh, a <laughs> funny thing just happened. On my my smartphone, I got an email and the email said, Agent Sovereign. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> because you know that's something else people ask too it's like what are you an agent of well i'm not going to tell you yet uh but (laughs) because a lot of the intros talk about agent sovereign and all that going on missions etc um but anyway i got an email like and it wasn't to my it was you know to uh, another address that no one should know and no one should be calling me agent sovereign on and it's like agent sovereign we need you like what the hell (laughs) i looked at And anyway, it was for um, Ingress, which I don't play anymore, uh, but, you know, that I had beta tested it when it first came out. Like that was God, that was over a year ago. Um, And so, you know, I got an email about an alert on that and then they you know, they call people agents that are on it. And so it said agent sovereign. Anyway, just thought it was funny. (laughs) It just happened to me. It is the the damnedest uh, thing. So, but, you know, real quick, just a little bit more on, on VR, uh, virtual reality is one of those things. Now we talked about when we were talking about, you know, what does no money mean? Uh, you know, and what does post-scarcity mean? Uh, you know, VR could in many ways, uh, talk. Yeah, I mean that—that that is, you know, we talk about you know creativity. You know, there's always a limitation on creativity or whatever. That is, VR is one of those ways where maybe a lot of that creativity and whatever else, uh, and those human services could be made, uh, to be incredibly inexpensive. In fact, you know, almost to. Yeah, or at least, you know, part of the aspects of it, to travel and all this stuff, none of it would necessarily be necessary. VR is a very exciting technology that was I made sure I mentioned was in 2099 as part of that, uh, you know, that that future permanent autonomous zone society, because I think that's really it, it is definitely a freeing technology in a very real sense so really excited uh, about anything going on with virtual reality and there's a lot of uh, economic aspects of it that have not i haven't really seen uh, be touched on but should be touched on so but from vr to let's talk about the quantum internet oh yes for hacksec let's get into it this story's coming from the verge uh, building a globe spanning quantum internet With U.S. and Chinese projects already underway, a truly secure network may require a quantum leap. And that's right. This is a security issue, and that's why I want to get into it. Last October, uh, leaked NSA documents confirmed a massive privacy violation. Government spies were tapping into private networks run by Google and Yahoo, which were running unencrypted between data centers. Both companies scrambled to protect their private networks, but the deeper problems remained. As long as data center links relied on traditional infrastructure, they'd be vulnerable to NSA intrusion. A truly secure network would have to be rebuilt from the ground up. More than a year after the reveal, a number of groups seem to be doing just that. The research and development company uh, Battelle is, or maybe Battelle, is currently building out a nationwide quantum network that would stretch from Boston to Georgia, eventually reaching all the way to California. A similar project is already underway in China, spanning from Shanghai to Beijing. They're the first networks in their kind, of their kind using the essential qualities of light to protect messages in transit. But as the quantum encrypted networks come to life, they're raising real questions about the future of cryptography. The new networks are designed to solve one of cryptography's most persistent problems, how to distribute encryption keys. A long enough key can provide mathematically unbreakable encryption, known as a one-time pad. But if the key is ever intercepted, the attacker will be able to access everything. As a result, most modern encryption tools have given up on secure distribution entirely, splitting the key into a public key for encoding and a non-distributed private key for decoding. This is how the bulk of uh, cryptography that we use today works. That allows for easier encryption, but it also limits the length of the key, making the system more vulnerable to brute force attacks. Quantum networks take a different approach, using long keys that are distributed across the network as bursts of light. To establish a key, one party generates random signal and the other listens in. Whatever comes out of the network is the new encryption key. But what if someone else is listening in? To protect against interception, the network relies on an observer effect. The principle on the observer effect, the principle that light can't be intercepted without altering the signal itself. For cryptography purposes, that means that if you're using the right protocols, you can ensure no one else is on the line before you transmit the key. If everything goes right, it would mean a perfect encryption system fueled by big random keys that are impossible to intercept. Those networks started out as a as small metropolitan links, including with a DARPA funded link between Harvard, uh, BBN and Boston University that went live in 2003. But quantum hardware companies like ID Quantique have taken the technology private and post Snowden interest in network security means a nationwide hookup may finally be within reach. So far, Battelle has started uh, small, working on an R&D link between the company's offices in Columbus and a data center in nearby Dublin, Ohio. The company finished the link earlier this year and is now expanding to reach the rich network of national security firms surrounding Washington, D.C., so far, the project's immediate challenge hasn't been the mind-bending, mind-bending physics, but the meager state of U.S. fiber networks. Thank you, government, for getting in the way again. The bulk of the network, and those are local ones at that, the bulk of the network has been built through renting exclusive bandwidth on fiber cables that have already been laid, but every endpoint needs a direct fiber link for the system to work. If there were any gap between the user and the network, an attacker could steal the keys as they travel over the gap. Even when we get the backbone built out, you still have to get it from the telecom vault to the office, says Don Hayford, a senior research leader at Patel. There will be a lot of places as we build out that won't have fiber for the last mile. That's less of a problem in China, where weaker property rights make it faster and cheaper to lay fiber. Read that as where local governments don't get in the way. As a result, (laughs) the country's engineers are building out a quantum backbone more than 1,200 miles long to be finished by 2016 at that. That backbone would connect Beijing with Shanghai with global hookups mapped in the decades to come. The project has been spurred on by rumors of NSA research into a quantum computer, which would allow the agency to break most forms of public key encryption. But while many quantum computing projects have stalled, China's network has grown at an astonishing speed. In practical terms, China's way ahead, says Chip Elliott, a scientist at BBN. The bigger problem, according to Elliott, is the demands of the hardware. Current quantum network technology requires relay points every 60 miles to refresh the signal, giving spies plenty of places to attack. ID Quantique says its devices are tamper-proof, wiping the signal as soon as one of the server blades is removed from its rack, but it remains to be seen how well the system would stand up to a sophisticated attacker like the NSA. You have to absolutely trust those relays, says Elliot. If you're really paranoid, you start to think, How do I know that they're doing what I think they're doing for any key distribution taking place more than 60 miles? That answer still has more to do with trust than hard mathematics. Still, those doubts haven't slowed down the spread of the networks. For Battelle, the extra level of security is worth paying for, particularly with similar networks already in production overseas. It's a big effort, Hayford says. You have to ask yourself why the Chinese want to do this. Well, I think that's pretty Pretty obvious why the Chinese want to do this, right? <laughs> I mean, they, you know they're they're wanting to avoid the NSA as much as anyone else that wants their privacy. So, anyway, uh, this is really interesting. This is really exciting technology, and it's definitely something I didn't count on for twenty ninety nine. If I had read the story uh, earlier, then I would have implemented it into Osiris one. And that's the thing is that this really, you know, this is this is again very exciting that you could, you could set this up, especially within a 60 mile radius and have, uh, perhaps what is for the really the very first time, a genuinely trustless encryption system. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that, that communicates with other, other machines. Now it's important to point out that the instant you set up a router and you start transmitting a Wi-Fi signal, all that encryption goes out the fucking door this has to be hardline direct connect okay so that's that's something to consider how would you implement this but the bottom line is is that if you created that intentional community if you made that permanent autonomous zone you could interconnect devices there if you wanted to with perfect encryption quantum encryption at that that would best Even the creation of quantum computing. That's an exciting development. That's hopeful technology. That's exciting technology. But like so many other things, in my personal opinion, like so many other things, it really only works at a more localized scale. Okay. And I don't think this is ever going to really get out there for public consumption so much, uh, particularly in the United States. And that has largely to do with the issue of net neutrality, which really does come down to the fact, okay, that the market is not allowed to operate by a conglomeration of companies like Verizon with a shit ton of cash and local governments with control of zoning, does not allow for the market to compete, okay, or cooperate. perhaps more accurately within a local area to bring incredible internet speeds uh, to everybody at exceptionally low cost or to bring quantum uh, internet to people that, you know, it gets down to that. That's why I don't think it's ever going to really uh, happen as things stand. But much like that town in Germany, Where the government, you know, the the, more or less the federal government or at least the county government uh, in Germany told this nice, this little town. No, it's not worth there's only like a few hundred of you there. It's not worth running great Internet to your town. So we're not going to do it. Well, that German town, this is something we talked about in a classic episode of Sex and Science Hour. uh, That German town went and they funded it themselves. It might not. I mean, I forget what the population was, but it's a really small population. But again, at a local level and they got they didn't just fund, you know, like running a 56 K line. They they got the best Internet on the planet and, you know, some of the, the best infrastructure and they put it in and they did it. And so that's the thing is, I think, at a very localized level, perhaps where it counts, people could this technology could get to a price where it's viable for intentional communities to be able to inter- inter- interconnect their systems with perfect encryption and do it without permission and just make it happen. And thus, that intentional community, like I've recommended them being secret in the past, could really be pretty fucking secret. So this is exciting stuff. The quantum internet. I love it. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-Liberty perspective. LRN.fm show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. So, Cora, you can... Uh You can make them bigger, can't you?
0: Of course, Brian. I would enjoy it if they were.
2: Oh, this is too much fun.
0: The
2: Climax. It is time for The Climax, where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. (laughs) So it can be a topic. It could be a movie. It could be a TV show. It could be a book. It could be a comic book. It could be a product. Uh, it could be poetry. <laughs> it it could really, it could be anything. And this week, I actually, I want to talk about uh, a movie. And this movie is, uh, you know, and and, you know, okay, kind of, I'm going to mix in a topic here. I am really, really tired of people that don't like spoilers. And so this is the last warning I'm ever going to give on Sovereign Tech. This is the, and I'm not even giving you a warning. It could just be construed as one. Okay. So this is the last warning about spoilers that I'm giving on Sovereign Tech is that I will, if I see a movie in theaters or something, you can see in the show notes what I'm going to talk about. Okay. Uh, But keep in mind, like I am not going to care about spoilers anymore. I mean, really, you're holding and I mentioned this on social media, people that don't like spoilers, they're real. I think you're, you're holding the world hostage because you're not letting people talk about what they want to talk about, you know, through the mediums of communication that they have. OK, and, and I, I think that's nuts. And also, I question, like, if you don't like spoilers Uh, Or, you know, if you're so concerned that, oh, don't tell me what, what, what," you know, it's like, if that is so key to your happiness that you cannot allow people that you just, you want to force the fact you want people to use special etiquette online or whatever, when they're about to talk about a spoiler. Where are your priorities in life? (laughs) What kind of life are you living if you can't handle that? I mean, I get it. You know, surprises can be the spice of life, but come on, it's just a movie or it's just a TV show. Anyway, uh, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's what I want to talk about. The, the new movie that came out this past summer of 2014 starring Megan Fox uh, and, you know, a whole slew of other people uh, made by, you know, it had a different director, but by and large produced by Michael Bay. And of course, Michael Bay is, uh, you know, quote unquote, well known for Pearl Harbor Armageddon, uh, you know, the recent Transformers movies, you know, he's behind all of these what some people would consider terrible movies. And just like this, you know, really like popcorn uh, (laughs) consumption, you know, no actual deep thought whatsoever, bing, bang, boom, special effects, Con Air kind of stuff. Okay, and so so Michael Bay gets a gets a bad rap because a lot of people consider his movies to just be you know, completely banal and, uh, and have nothing going for them. Um, and I, I agree by and large, okay. That, that a lot of his movies really do miss the point or that he just totally fucks things up. Okay. But not always. I actually didn't, you know, I didn't think Armageddon was terrible. Uh, I didn't think, I thought the first Transformers movie was actually pretty good. Like, I was shocked at how good it was because of the fact that I was expecting a Michael Bay film and it was going to be an atrocity. But the first Transformers movie was 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 great. The following three have been terrible. Uh, I, I didn't care for them at all. Uh, in fact, they were just like completely confusing at best uh, and ran unnecessarily long. But so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, I, you know, this this the new version TMNT, I'll, I'll call it that from now on, uh, was, you know, I was very concerned about this. Now, I was happy. Admittedly, I was happy to see Megan Fox in the movie again. Uh, and, of course, that was interesting because I guess they kind of uh, Michael Bay and, and Megan Fox sort of buried the hatchet because I guess they had problems. And that's why she wasn't in later Transformers films or whatever. Um, but it was good to see her, you know, be, you know, in front of the camera again. Um, But there was a lot of this movie was there was a lot of concern and I might have talked about it on Sovereign Tech where I was like, what, what, why are they messing with the origin story? Why are they messing with uh, with a good thing with, uh, you know, with with Ninja Turtles and. You know, because the supposedly a script, I think it was called Blue Moon or something like that, or Blue Earth, whatever, uh, was released and come to find out that the name was a joke, kind of like how Return of the Jedi was originally called Blue Harvest to kind of hide it. And it was it was the script for Ninja Turtles that was being produced by Michael Bay. And this movie was like saying that the ninja turtles were aliens or they were like interdimensional aliens and and all this crap and people are just like what that's insane it's like why do you why even go there that doesn't even make sense and you know because the, the origin story you know that the turtles come from you know this this being exposed to the mutagen ooze uh you know and and splinter of course their teacher the rat uh you know all mutating because of this exposure to, to the mutagen, uh, you know, it's already ridiculous enough. There's no need. You don't even have to, it's like coming up with a different story is, you know, with a different origin story is just being stupid. Like, like there's no point to going that direction. And so, uh, I was concerned about that, of, of what they were trying to, to do with that. Uh, but come to find out, that's not true at all. Uh, they pretty much stuck with the fact that they were part, you know, that they got exposed to the mutagen, uh, This, in this case, in a lab in the movie. Uh, and that's what, you know, made them evolve the way they are. And now they did add into the origin story that April O'Neill was, which is the character that Megan Fox is playing, uh, was you know, key to to them surviving this lab experiment. But other than and that was that was fine. That that, that didn't that kind of gave uh, that actually that that gave it a bit of, you know, reasoning for why is April O'Neil so important to these, you know, four Ninja Turtles. Uh, and that, that was cool. That, that was all right. But this movie got really panned really hard by critics. And I thought it was great. Like, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I thought the Brian Tyler's score was fantastic. The action was really good. I thought the turtles look cool. Michelangelo was really funny. Like the jokes were really like I was laughing because that's the thing. In the other Transformers films, usually the jokes were very bad taste and were ridiculous. Like they were just just stupid, you know, bro humor over the top. But no, this movie was really humorous. Uh, Like, I mean, there's points where I I was laughing out loud. It was so funny. Uh, So I I enjoyed I enjoyed that. Uh, The script itself, you know, like the storyline behind it, the story, the storyline for it was kind of cheesy, you know, and it's your usual your business magnate wants to, you know, become the the Empire of New York, essentially. And Shredder's, you know, technology was kind of over the like his suit was a bit over the top rocksteady and bebop weren't in it krang wasn't in it you know there's certainly plenty of characters and and plenty of of ninja turtle isms missing from it though they did get to say cowabunga Uh, (laughs) uh, they didn't say pizza power but whatever (laughs) and there was plenty okay so so yeah so there was stuff missing and there were some elements that like okay we're we're you know, classic Michael Bay cheese, but that didn't really take away from anything. And it's so funny because a bunch of people, a lot of, uh, a lot of critics were ripping on this because they're like, Oh, it was just a big, it was a, you know, a a commercial for pizza hut. No fucking shit. It was a commercial for pizza hut. It's the Ninja turtles. That's what they do. They eat pizza all the time. And when you were a kid, if you were a kid like me in the nineties, okay. And, and you really enjoyed the Ninja turtles, which I most certainly did. Okay. You know, Pizza Hut was doing like a marketing promotion thing. Pizza Hut is as much a part of Ninja Turtles as, you know, the American flag is to the USA. It's part and parcel. If there wasn't Pizza Hut all over the place in the movie, I would have thought something was fucking wrong. These critics don't get shit. You know, they they really don't. There's no there's no taste. In it, you know, with with most of these critics, they don't understand. It's just like it's the same critics. Which, by the way, I saw the trailer for Jurassic World. I don't know how I feel about that, but regardless, they, you know, the, these critics like Jurassic Park three. Okay, they it got panned and panned and panned. Man, that was one of the that was the best Jurassic Park movie because it was just dinosaurs, 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 dinosaurs. They don't understand that some people don't want to go see a movie because they want to go see the new Citizen Kane or Grand Illusions. Sometimes you're just going there to get entertained, to perhaps feel a sense of nostalgia. The point is not to be, you know, uh, speaking of poetry, here we go. Speaking of poetry, uh, in fact, Dead Poets Society talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. OK, Dead Poets Society. There's the point where Robin Williams character, Mr. Keating, is saying, you know, uh, you know, rhyme and meter. They're, they're talking about because he's he's teaching kids about poetry in it. OK, and he says, he's like, throw that out. He's like, rip that page out. He's like there is no rhyme and meter to poetry. Poetry is what it means to you. And that's it. These movies are what they mean to you. It's completely subjective. Uh, OK, and and but critics are just like, well, it has to have this level of this or this level of this. And, you know, to, to be good and like the script has to, you know, it has to be Shakespearean or, or some kind of bull. critics are full of crap. I never, ever, ever since I was really young, I've never trusted what critics had to say. You know, it's like Jerry Springer's Ringmaster. It got I remember I remember this because it was the first uh, thing I ever read in the newspaper where the movie got a half star. I was like, Oh my god, it got it, this. Is, I've never heard of a movie that only got a half star. It's like, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. But you ask any any Jerry Springer fan, and they're like, Oh, it's the fucking greatest movie of all time. You know what? I mean? it, there is no with art. There is no like set. Uh, I mean, yes, there's certainly how one re represents or how one represents life on what you're doing can certainly be a measure of, you know, you can measure a degree of ability with that. Okay, but by and large, art is an incredibly subjective thing. It's a beautiful thing in that way. And so honestly, so my, my point being is that these guys just totally missed the point. Not Michael Bay didn't miss the point this time. This time, everybody else missed the point. This was a great if you loved Ninja Turtles, if you enjoyed Ninja Turtles, this was a great movie. It got it right. It got a whole hell of a lot of it right. Like this is I thought this was better other than the fact that it didn't have vanilla icing and ninja rap. This is better than all three of the original Tur- Turtles movies that were made in the 90s combined. By a long shot. Way, way better. Um, I, I mean, it, it didn't have Casey Jones. I wish it had Casey Jones. That kind of sucked, but as far as I know, there is going to be a sequel to this uh, coming out in 2016. Which, hey, I'm kind of excited for now. Granted, like Transformers, maybe Michael Bay, uh, you know, and he's just more or less the producer's role, but he, a guy like that, you know, puts his finger in the pies. Uh, but you know, maybe he'll mess it up because like the other Transformers movies after the first one were terrible too. But maybe he won't. I mean, the action was tremendous in this. Like I said, the the score was good. You know, the stuff that was over the top was great when it was over the top and the turtles looked good. I think there was a concern, too. And I, I still I wonder about like, I think they just had a choice screenshot where the turtles looked ridiculous. But they didn't look ridiculous at all. They look they look great in this. And, and Ninja Turtles is now. I mean, this is something old. I mean, Ninja Turtles were for, TMNT, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were originally created. It was a comic book made by Kevin Eastman. Uh, And Peter Laird back in the in the late 80s. And uh, I mean, and it was an awesome comic book then. And of course, you know, I love ninjas Uh, (laughs) and uh, the cartoon was really cool. Now, Eastman's comic book was very hard edged. It was not uh, not nowhere near as, quote unquote, childish as the cartoon would later on be or further implementations like there's been live action television shows made where even where there was a female turtle, which I thought was kind of cool, you know, and, and some other things. Um, so, you know, it's got, it's got some history and you got to live up to that. And this movie delivered on all counts. And Kevin Eastman even said, he's like, yeah, I love what they're doing. And, you know, he said this during production and that should have been kind of signal enough that, yeah, this was actually going to end up being okay. So, so nobody gets it that, that this. And, and I mean, maybe you can email me. Brian is only offline games.com if, you, if you disagree. But I, I always love the Ninja Turtles. Now, some people say Ninja Turtles appeal comes from the fact that there's four characters and those four characters appealed to each of the different on the Myers-Briggs personality test. It appealed to the four major different types of personalities like, uh, you know, the NTJs and and whatever else. Uh, and whether or not that's true, I don't know. I've taken a Myers-Briggs test. I'm an INTJ and my favorite uh, turtle was always Donatello. Does that fit? Does that prove the Myers Briggs thing? No, I, I I don't think so. I think people just for some reason like being classified, uh, you know, being categorized. I I don't get it, but I guess people are into that. So anyway, some people say that that's the mainstream appeal of the turtles is that it, it had a character that appealed to everybody, and I think that statement can still be true without Myers Briggs bullshit. Uh, and Donatello was was pretty cool in this. He kind of pulled off a bunch of Urkelisms, uh, and and that was okay. You know, again, I wonder if that's it, too, because so many people are like, oh, the 90s were so cheesy. Well, you know, some people like that. Some people are into that. And this movie certainly delivered on a lot of that 90s cheese that that I've always enjoyed. And you get to see the turtle van at the end. And the thing's awesome. Like that was I was half worried that they were never going to show the turtle van because you never really got that so much in the um, in the original three films, even though the turtle van was like the quintessential toy to have. Uh, you know of ninja Turtles toys, and they delivered it in this one, and it looked great. It was really cool and again it was a f- it was a funny movie it was genuinely funny. the action was great uh, you know it was really really intense uh, and the acting was just fine you know there there was no there was no problems there it was a good movie so i don 't know what the hell all these critics are talking about, but whatever again it 's all subjective right? I guess if you want it to be highbrow that 's what you want. Uh, <laughs> me i can enjoy a film for just being a good time i can enjoy anything for being a good time because if there's anything the golden stallion likes it's a really good time and a good guilty pleasure so check out ninja turtles i love it Uh, anyway carpe lucem, everybody i'll see you on the other side
1: you just experienced sovereign tech Go to SovereignTech.com, that's sovryn techcom and connect with us there. Find links from today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution.